The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 127. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position, he does. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, Horror of Fang Rock. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very good, and welcome back. Thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, folks, remember to like The Secrets of uh, Doctor Who, <laughs> well, what show are we recording? Yes, The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where you can find us at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who, or you could uh, retweet the show where you find it on, S- on Twitter at SQPN, and uh, make sure you leave us comments in those places. We'd love to share your feedback. We've got a little bit of feedback this week that I'll be sharing with you at the end of the show, so uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So about today we're talking about Horror of Fang Rock, and this is a fourth Doctor story. Tom Baker uh, was broadcast in September of 1977, uh, and it's uh, it's one of those classic shows with four parts. And uh, it this is his fourth season, so we're just a you know a little behind the scenes. We're jumping back and forth between the beginning of the fourth Doctor's time, and then we'll come back. You know, we'll we'll in do other middle. Doctors, yeah, and then we'll jump to the middle, just because there's so many fourth Doctor stories. We don't want right. to uh, end up just talking about the fourth Doctor week after week after week. We want to kind of spread it out. We might not might not mind that, but y'all might. <laughs> right, exactly. So, but this is from the uh, the fourth season of the Fourth Doctor, or the fifteenth overall season. Uh, and his companion in this one is Leela. Now, I don't have a lot of experiencing uh, experience with Leela stories. So, can you remind mm-hmm. me who Leela is and how she came to be with the Doctor? Yeah, so Leela is the companion that came in when Sarah Jane Smith exited, and Sarah Jane Smith was uh, a very popular companion. She had, uh, she was a very forceful companion. She was a kind of you know modern '80s woman, feminist, very aggressive, and she was a reporter. And she was you know from contemporary Earth, so she was familiar with a lot of technology. And so they decided, let's go to the opposite extreme. Let's bring in a barbarian woman who uh, is from a primitive society. She's a human, but she's from another planet. And that planet was colonized by humans. And then their society split. Um, the There was one group who were the descendants of the technicians on the colony ship, and they became known as the Tesh for, for technician. And... Uh, Leela's tribe, though, it was descended from the survey team that was sent down to survey the planet. And so she was a member of the of the Seva team tribe. And there was conflict between the Tesh and the Seva team. And uh, the doctor had played a role in the history of their society um, in an adventure we never actually saw. But he had the, he then. In a in a serial called The Face of Evil, he came back and he had a reputation as basically being the devil. He was the evil one that had messed <laughs> stuff up. And when he offers Leela, when he first meets her a jelly baby, she says, it's true. The evil one eats babies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she eventually, though, he, he eventually, though, you know, convinces he fixes the problems. He convinces her he's not the evil one and she becomes a companion. And so she is deliberately meant to contrast with all of the previous companions. You know, we'd had most are contemporary Earth women. Some are smart in notable ways, like um, the third doctor's first companion. Um, some are from the future and really smart, like uh, Zoe, the second Doctor's companion. 
But Leela is just something we've never had before. She is a barbarian. She's clever, um, but she's a barbarian and she is incredibly willing to use violence. Yep. There's there's a real sense with her character, and I think this was a I recall reading somewhere this was a conscious choice on on the part of the producers of kind of the Pygmalion aspect where you've got the yeah. doctor as a professor trying to bring her up to high class, if you will. Yeah. And the, the, the brutal savage that had to be pulled out of the gutters, figuratively speaking. So there really yeah. was they were kind of playing off of that image, you know, Pygmalion, my fair lady, that that image of of the, the two contrast contrasting characters. Also, we don't see it in this episode because they're heading to a beach in at Brighton, but uh, they wanted her to look good in a leather dress. Oh, yeah. barbarian leather yes. dress look good for the dads <laughs> yep you know it's it's, it's interesting i have a limited experience with these classic companions but i feel like there's a little bit of a comparison between leela and jamie who is also from a time mm-hmm. prior to te- technology and so they're ex- we often see their experience with technology for, you know from their point of view as people who aren't used to it i kept noticing that in this episode yeah, she also anticipates Ace, the seventh Doctor's companion, in that she's willing to use violence very readily. Only with Leela, it's knives instead of explosives. Yeah, yeah. I think Leela threatened to stab like three people in this episode. At least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not including the alien. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about this episode then. Uh, this is uh, takes place, the setting is... Turn of the 20th century. We, we have to say these things now. It's not just turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Turn of the 20th century, the, <laughs> off the coast of England, uh, a place called Fang Rock. Actually, you know what? I never actually checked. Is that a real place? Fang Rock? I, I, I don't believe so. Okay. So, uh, but it's, it's supposedly off the south coast of England and a, a, where the, at a lighthouse. And it's all this action takes place on this, this little collection of rocks that's a, a semi-island that this lighthouse is, is on. And there's a lighthouse crew there. Uh, back, these are the the, the classic lighthouses uh, that were then nowadays are automated. But you had to have mm-hmm. a three man team. They had to maintain the light, shovel coal into the generator furnace to keep things running uh, around the clock. The foghorn. They yes. need to build up pressure for the foghorn. Right, and the foghorn was manually activated. So we had to stand there and pull the lever every two minutes. This was uh this is actually the way it is. Now, I mean, today now it's it's all automated. Uh, but back then, yep. if everything was manual, and you had this this team, so. This this crew is there and you have uh, the old veteran, the old, you know, the old guy who's been a lighthouse keeper for, you know, probably 30 years or more. You have the he doesn't like this newfangled electricity. He likes the good old oil. <laughs> yes. The old, the old old oil lamp uh, does doesn't run out of power like the electricity does. Uh, then <laughs> you have the 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 head of the crew who's a little younger, you know, middle aged, uh, who is a real fan of the technology. He's the engineer. And then you have the young guy who's on the crew, who's, you know, Vince, um, who's, who's uh, the gopher, the lackey kind of guy does the whatever it needs to be done. Right. He's young. He's inexperienced. And he's he's sort of he's an innocent. And you kind of get that sense from him in a lot of a lot of ways. So Vince yeah. is the one who sees uh, it's night. He sees something fall from the sky into the sea, uh, some sort of bright light. You know, uh, it's pink. It makes the sea glow pink for a second. Yes. And uh, the others don't see it and they dismiss it as a meteor or, or something like that. Uh, but uh, I, I love the way that there's, you know, a little bit of stilted dialogue in some of this. It's kind of stylized to be kind of early 20th century. This is around 1902 or something. And I love the way that the the older guys are just ragging on Vince. It's like, you forget about that thing you saw fall. That's nothing. That's just, uh, don't worry about that. And they just keep hammering. Move on. <laughs> this guy is like he hasn't said anything <laughs> just keep hammering this <laughs> they really want to emphasize that they just don't want him to talk about it <laughs> so now uh as they're standing there this fog this unnatural fog rolls in this it's extremely cold the temperature drops a lot and mm-hmm. uh the light of the lighthouse goes out the generator is still running but it, the electricity is not getting to the light and th- this keeps happening throughout this episode and it's about this time that the TARDIS arrives with a doctor and Leela who were headed to Brighton. And as so often happens, the TARDIS took them where they needed to be, not where they wanted to go. Uh, they, they were headed to Brighton for the beach. And Leela's all dressed up in period clothing and that that whole thing at this point. Something you might wear to a beach. Right. If you're a lady. 
in the in the early 1902 time frame. Yeah. And so then we oh, have and, and, and they notice that the light of the lighthouse is off and the doctor wonders about that. And Leela gets to say, how would I know? I'm not a technician. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tesh, like the, like something about how related to John Tesh, but maybe not. Uh, <laughs> just maybe think of that when you said that. Let's not go we have this uh, alien creature that we don't see for a while. This is it's kind of kept secret and it's got this whole horror vibe to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it has. And that's really what this this is a horror story we're watching. Yep. That's yeah. the horror of Fang Rock. And we get this interesting monster POV uh, shot that has like a kaleidoscopic kind of green kaleidoscopic background. But in the center of the screen there's a circle and what we see in the circle is a black and white image of whatever the monster is looking at. And so it's a very interesting kind of simple POV, but it's a very interesting point of view shot for the monster. It's interesting. It doesn't have color in the center of its vision. Right. 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 So yeah, it is interesting. It's a, it's a colorblind creature of some sort. And, and the first, one of the first things that happens is we get to see Ben, the engineer die screaming. <laughs> right. So Pretty that's our first death. Yes. The first death. And that's when, and then that's when uh, uh, Leela and the doctor show up. Now Ruben is very concerned with Ruben's the old guy, the old guys. Yep, he, and he's very concerned that Ben's body needs to be taken care of. He needs to you know wrap him up and and sew him in so that they can call in the morning, call for the boat to come and bring him back to shore. And yeah, Ru- Ruben is a, apparently a quite a religious guy. He crosses himself several times during the course of this, and he's yeah. very concerned that we treat the bodies of the dead decently with respect and things yeah yeah i thought that was an interesting choice that they to make him because anglicans don't cross themselves right it's just catholic some sometimes they do i mean if they're like high church anglicans that's 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 what i was thinking of they're high church anglicans they they probably would still do that because they consider themselves catholic a lot of them Mm -hmm. okay okay that's interesting i didn't know that that so so maybe he is Uh, that's what i was interested they wanted to make sure that they had this very clear you know, religious sort of sensibility to him. In and of this. course, I mean, an easy image, especially at that time in Britain in the you know late 70s, uh, to have someone cross themselves would have been a very clear symbol of someone who was religious and people would have recognized it. So kind of an easy symbolism for on screen, too. Right, right. And so he wraps up Ben, Ben's body and the doctor Sh- shrouds it. Yes, that's a good yeah, good way of putting it. The the doctor and leela have shown up there uh ruben talks a lot about the the legend of the beast of fang rock where this creature would come from the sea and kill everyone and and so there's this whole <laughs> and drive drive people mad even the survivors would be mad and this happened 80 years ago in the 20s so that's how we know this is we're in the first decade of the 20th century exactly and uh, it, and poor Vince is getting freaked out by Ruben's uh, references uh, to the story, and uh, and the doctor comes in. He notes that they they have a, a wireless telegraph uh, machine, or or just a uh, actually I didn't remember whether they said it was a wireless telegraph or just a regular yeah. telegraph. Wireless. But, uh, okay, so yeah, it's a, they called it. A, he called it a, Mar, a Marconi telegraph. Right. Yeah. Th- that makes it wireless. That's right. And uh, so they they they're there in in. The doctor is is checking out this idea. Well, why is the generator still running, but no electricity is is going anywhere? And then he believes that the doctor that uh, Ben was electrocuted. That's his theory. Yeah. Also, we get Leela out of the dress. Um, we <laughs> yes. have kind of a neat scene where she's she's with Vince and her dress is wet. I'm not exactly sure how fog doesn't get you that wet. He's saying, I'm sorry, ma'am, we don't have any women's clothes. And she says, what you're wearing will be just fine. (laughs) And she starts taking off her dress right there. (laughs) And he's he's like shielding his eyes. He's very modest and he's never had a woman do this in front of him before. (laughs) And so he's like getting out of the room as fast as he can. But the next time we see Leela, she's wearing a set of his work clothes. So she's got this big sweater on, you know, and, and pants. And so she's and this is much more. It's not her. It's not her leather. Her leather dress, but it's much more to her liking. It's much more functional. Will let her have the range of bodily motion to kill stuff that she wants. <laughs> exactly. I did. I have a note. Like poor lonely lighthouse keeper Vince is scandalized by Leela's disrobing. <laughs> <laughs> it was that was a funny scene. 
she she also goes out and starts wandering on the rocks and yeah. goes down to the seashore and finds that the fish are all dead um around the island and so that's um there are several dead fish just floating there and so they're they've apparently been electrocuted too I was wondering, like, why did why is she sneaking out into the fog? Like, where was she going? Oh, she was going to go hunt the beast. <laughs> right. Yeah. OK. Right. Yeah, she's yeah. a warrior. She's, she's going to go kill it if possible and just not not worry about trying to figure it out. Just it's an enemy. Kill it. Now, given that Leela and the doctor show up just as Ben dies, uh, Ruben, the the old like uh, uh, lighthouse keeper, he's uh, he starts to suspect that they're somehow involved. Uh, so that that's part of the story he can't prove it so he doesn't try to lock him up or anything right and then the body ben's body disappears uh it's not where they laid him and vince is convinced that ben's you know out walking around in the fog you know his his this his dead buddy is now a a zombie of some sort doesn't say zombie but you know the dead has has risen and are walking around and and then just to amp it up a notch in the fog this ship or yacht runs aground on the rocks because mm-hmm. the light is out the light keeps going you know on and off uh, sort of so seemingly random and uh, and the doctor and uh, the the keepers have to run out to rescue the crew leaving leela unhappily to have to operate the foghorn she's really miffed that they leave her the girl behind to <laughs> yeah but but then and especially she's not thinking it's because i'm a girl she's thinking i want to be out there in the action right um so she's annoyed and we just get all of this from her facial expression and her body language she's really annoyed that she's been left behind but then when she starts tugging on the cord to sound the foghorn, yep. she starts getting into it. And she's like really enjoying playing with this. Having, yeah, she was having fun with it. <laughs> That's right. So we, uh, also she was having fun with a knife she found in like their uh, their uh, mess room. Um, she found a knife there and it's like, ooh, this one's cool. And you can see her balancing it and you know, testing its balance. And <laughs> at the end of the episode, she keeps it. Right, right. <laughs> So uh, and and while she's up there operating the foghorn, she sees something down on the rocks and she sees this basically this green glowing ball with tentacles crawling along the rocks. This is our this is the the alien. This is our bad guy in this episode. And, mm-hmm. and uh, let's just bring it up. It's a rutan. That's yes. we, we mm-hmm. later get it gets identified as a rutan. And the rutan are well. So this is what's so great about getting to see the rutan because we've heard about the rutan race for years at this point, and we've never seen them. They were first mentioned in the Time Warrior, which was the episode that introduced the Santarans, and we were told that the Santarans had are in this huge, massive war with the rutans. And then we would get to see the Santarans repeatedly, including in the Santaran experiment most recently. But we never saw who they were fighting. And so now we get to see who they're fighting. And it's great that it's like this jellyfish race instead of being just another humanoid. Right. right. And so I was just I was delighted that, oh, you know, here here we finally get to see this thing we've heard about all this time. And it's visually interesting. It's not just what you would expect. It's not just another guy in a rubber suit. I, I know that we, we're not generally going to be seeing classic who villains in Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who. He's, he's pretty much said, don't expect to see very many of them, although we got the Daleks uh, at yeah, the end of At least for the first season. We may see more in the future. Uh, and we have seen the Santarans in the in New Who, but but we I'd be curious. to see, I'd love to see how they would handle the Rutan mm-hmm. in New Who, like what, what they would do with that. It would be interesting. I'm 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 sure they'd CGI it and it would probably look better on balance but I really like the creature design of this thing. It looks very solid. You know, it's it's basically a blob. It's a circular blob that looks organic. It looks very solid and squishy and and it has hair, white hair, like a fringe, yeah, on it. Yeah, and then it has trailing white hair and tentacles. And so it's it's kind of like a hairy giant green jellyfish but it looks more solid than a jellyfish and and it's and it and it glows green and it pulses and it kills people with electricity so it's really cool it is rubbish on stairs though i mean it just (laughs) we'll get get to that later unless it's unless it's in human form (laughs) right 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 Uh, yes they can also assume shapes which we're we're also going to get to so she sees the 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 alien crawling along the rocks and uh 
And meanwhile, the 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 rescuers have come back with people from the boat. Uh, we have Lord Palm, Palmerdale, a an officious, pompous buffoon of a aristocrat. So he's totally yeah. going to die. Yes. Yep. Uh, well, they all do. Let's just be honest. They all do. But yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then uh, we have uh, Colonel Skinsale, a uh, uh, who is a member of Parliament and a veteran of of the army uh, and of India. And uh, uh, Palmerdale is the owner of the yacht. And then we also have uh, Palmerdale's uh, secretary, Adelaide uh, Lesage. Les, Les, I forget yeah, how the and there's it. some there's dispute about exactly how her name is spelled. It's different in different sources. Um, and she's introduced as his secretary, but later one of the crew of the of the boat that crashed says that she's his fancy lady. So I think the implication is she's not simply a secretary she's also his mistress or something and there's a very interesting dynamic between these three characters when they show up because apparently and there's this tension between all three of them apparently skin sale has some secret that that would ruin him if it came out and we never learn what it is but Palmerdale knows it and is using that as leverage to extract privileged information from Skin Sale about the market and upcoming deals. It's actually mm-hmm. Skin Sale owes money to Palmerdale. He has IOUs. And Palmerdale was ripped up the IOUs in exchange for Skin Sale giving him government secrets that Palmerdale can right. use on the stock exchange, which we don't right. know what those secrets are. And if it got out that that skin sale gave these secrets to Palmerdale, that would ruin him. So, yeah, so it's I think there's something more, too, but I could be wrong about that. It may just be that. And then and then Adelaide is loyal to her employer slash lover, but is gradually being confronted by the fact that he's not all he repre- that there's another side to him that she's not aware of, but that skin sale sees. Yeah, he's not that he's not the most morally upright person and is willing to use anyone and everyone to further his ambitions. Right. Palmerdale yeah. was so desperate to get to to uh, the shore and then get on the train to London. So that before the exchange opened in the morning that he took the yacht into the fog at full speed, you know, and and, and basically killed a bunch of people like the, the rest yeah. of the crew, except for one crewman survived. Uh, and he doesn't care. I mean, all that matters is. You know, whoever has to suffer or die, he doesn't care as long as he gets to the market and makes a killing. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Financially speaking. Exactly. And, and he tries repeated different ways to either get to London or get a message to London. And speaking of the, the crewman that survives, his name is Harker. He's the bosun from the boat. And he's I like Harker. He, cut, he, he you know, he is deferential to a point, but really at, at one point recognizes that it's it's Palmerdale's fault that the captain died, that the whole crew died, that all these people. And he just starts to refuse to go along with anything Palmerdale just trying to get him to do. He loses it and then attacks him and tries to strangle him. And then the doctor comes in and pulls him apart. And and Harker, by the way, is, is the one that as he's coming in, he finds because he comes in separately. He's he's still out there trying to find people to rescue. He found Ben, the lighthouse keeper's body in the ocean. Uh, and it's been it's it's been mutilated. Uh, and the doctor eventually figures out that the the Rutan uh, did a, a uh, postmortem, did an autopsy on it to figure out how human bodies work, to understand their weaknesses and also to figure out how to to shape change metamorphosis into human shape. So, yeah, but for some reason, not into Ben shape. Right. Not quite ready to do that. Yeah. He doesn't use the shape of the guy he autopsied. So what's. Okay, maybe there's there's some maybe there's a reason he couldn't just because he used him for the autopsy target. Mm -hmm. Maybe Uh, one thing I liked, uh, you know, so when the first sign of how much of a jerk Palmerdale is, is he shows up and he's like he's cold and he's wet and he's demanding brandy and he's just (laughs) like, you give me a brandy. And when the person doesn't, you give me a brandy. And he keeps going on about the brandy. And finally, Vince tell, you know, Vince tries to deflect him. Oh, hot soup is what's for you. And finally, Vince has to just tell him we don't have any brandy here. Liquor is not allowed in a in a lighthouse. It's against regulations for good reason. <laughs> and I can see that because if you're in a lighthouse, you're going to be bored. 
I mean, this is pre-internet, pre-television, pre-radio. You know, it, it, you're going to there'd be a lot of boredom in a lighthouse. And if you started using liquor to relieve the tension, you would not only risk drowning yourself, you would risk not turning on the light and the foghorn when they needed to be. And they have to be constantly shoveling coal into the into the generators. I mean, that's that's part of the the, the fact. Right. And either, if, if they were if they were drinking all the time, that would not happen. So. Uh, so we, we get this. Uh, scene where the doctor and Leela are kind of talking to the side and the doctor starts to be, be afraid. He really shows his fear of this creature because it, he, it, he's been able to assess that it has superior strength and superior technology. And he's really starting to show some fear of this, which is interesting in contrast to some of our modern doctors, especially the last, the last few where you know the idea of showing fear. I mean, they, they were occasionally a little, a little uh, concerned about the villain, but, but not. I, I just never did. I felt like this was a, a different kind of doctor than what we've seen recently. Well, that's the nice thing about the classic doctors are they were vulnerable. They didn't know everything. Yeah, they knew a lot, and they could figure things out pretty quickly. And but they weren't this know-it-all, oncoming storm, greatest thing ever. To you know. The greatest thing the universe ever produced, and everybody better watch out if they're a bad guy. You know, that yeah. wasn't who the Doctor was. The series didn't worship the Doctor in the way that it later came to. One of the, And one of the things, it's especially noteworthy that this is the case with Tom Baker's Doctor. He shows fear. And one of the, it's essential that he do that because this period of the show is the gothic period. There are loads of stories in this segment of Tom Baker's run that are directly inspired by gothic horror. And this is an example of that, but there are lots of others. And in order to do horror, the main character, the audience identification point, cannot just be super confident right. all the time. <laughs> he, has to, he has to be vulnerable and have fear, or it undercuts the horror that the show is trying to create. But there, there are interesting ways that they play with that. There's this great scene where... The doctor, you know, he doesn't want to tell the lighthouse people or the, the ship survivors that there's an alien out there because he knows they won't believe that. Um, so he wants to keep that under wraps, but he wants to let them know we're all in danger. And so he comes into the kitchen and smiles and says, gentlemen, I've got news for you. This lighthouse is under attack and by, by morning we might all be dead. In a very upbeat uh, voice, yes. <laughs> and, and in fact, at one point, uh, Leela kind of calls him on being afraid. She says, "Yeah, he, she and, tells and him to be brave." Yeah, right. And he's like, "Brave? I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid." He kind of gets gets kind of upset that she he says he's afraid. <laughs> so uh, we have another Ruben, the old lighthouse keeper. Uh, we have a moment where he, he 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 dies. He goes outside. Well, he screams. And we mm -hmm. think he he's been killed by the the monster, and then we see him come back in, acting strangely, and well, yes, he's he's dead, and it's the Rutan in his shape now, right? And we they later find his body in the coal hole of the lighthouse, and he like I guess the Rutan stuffed it there just to hide it when it took it took his shape, and uh, and he ends up uh, wandering off up back up to the bunk room where you know, where they where they sleep. Uh, and and hangs out in there, glowing green in the dark. Uh, so, yep. so that would shimmers. <laughs> yes. So we know definitely he's not all right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Palmerdale is, is trying to bribe Hawkins, the bosun, to send his message to the mainland via the wireless telegraph. That's not working very well. But he like forces the money into Vince's hands. So right. Vince has the this you know fifty pounds, and he's been promised fifty more, which is a huge sum for the time. Right. So, well, first he tries with Hawkins. That doesn't work. So then he ends up going to Vince and trying to convince young Vince. And yeah. right. And he's got that 50 pounds with a promise of 50 more. Yeah, that that is an enormous sum of money, probably as much as, as he would make in months. Just for context, I was reading a, one of the Sherlock Holmes stories last night and a stockbroker or I'm sorry, a clerk in like uh, in, in an accountant's office in the city in London, the financial center could make. 200 pounds in a year that would be a typical salary so this is like to vince this is half a year's salary for someone who is several steps higher on the social ladder than he is right this is probably a year's worth of <laughs> of money 
and then we have uh, this after he tries to, you know, get Vince to to do this for him. Uh, Paul Mariel is is hanging out outside on the on the, the the gallery, the outside of the the top of the lighthouse, and we see the creature, the Rutan, climbing the wall of the uh, of the lighthouse in the gel in its jellyfish form. In its jellyfish mm-hmm. form, right, right, right. Uh, and Paul Mariel gets electrocuted and falls from the top. And Vince uh, first he realizes that Paul Paul Mariel is dead, and then he's then he burns the money. Presumably, so he's not suspected of killing Palmerdale in order to take his money, money from him. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have a note that how the the doctor has no patience for Adelaide's nonsense. Like Adelaide is yeah. hysterical at points, and, and neither does Leela. Yeah. yeah, Adelaide is comes off as the weakest character in the end. I mean, she's interesting, and there are different sides to her, but she becomes increasingly more hysterical, and it gets a little old. She's very kind of the stereotypical Victorian woman who can't stand the sight of blood, much less everything else that's going on, which is which is kind of funny because, of course, classic companions had what I think is a mis misunderstood uh, reputation of being screechers where they were constantly, you know, constantly screaming. And there were a few of them, you know, Mel was good at that. And there were a couple others. But, you know, yeah, nothing like this gal. Yeah, she's over the top screaming after. It's interesting. She's also one of the aspects of her character is she's into astrology. And there's this apparently not real, but apparently famous astrologer in London that she consults every month. And uh, and the astrologer had told her not to like the stuff. There was danger of bad stuff happening if she did certain things. And she let Palmerdale talk her into doing him anyway, and she's convinced that that's why that's why all this bad stuff is happening. <laughs> and she didn't listen to the astrologer. And uh, Leela has this conversation with her. Uh, Leela is really, it, given her cultural background, it's really fascinating. She like tells Vince that you should be talking often with the elders of your tribe. That's the only way to learn. And she then tells uh, Adelaide uh, when Adelaide's going on about astrology. Uh, she says, I, too, used to believe in magic, but the doctor has taught me about science. It is better to believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I like that. And then when, you know, uh, when she sees uh, one of the one of the first bodies that Adelaide sees, she's just screaming her head off and Leela yells quiet. And then she turns to someone else and says, has she never seen death before? Well, I like the fact that at one point Adelaide screams and Leela slaps her one across Just the wall. her. That was a good one. Yeah, that was that was a pretty uh, pretty uh, serious wallop she gives her. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's I actually like that contrast between Leela and Adelaide. Adelaide is yeah. the sort of the anti-Leela in this. Yeah. I wonder if the Leela of Futurama is any is maybe a, in some way, small way, a tribute to this Leela, maybe. It could be. There's a lot of Doctor Who references in Futurama, so it's very possible. (laughs) So the uh, the, at this point, the Doctor tells the others that he thinks it's an alien. He kind of comes clean. It's an alien. And of course, they scoff. I mean, what do they know? Uh, It's uh, extraterrestrials. That's Jules Verne territory for them. That's Balderdash. (laughs) H.G. Wells, they mention. (laughs) Yes. And uh, right. And skin sale, the, the colonel reveals that he has now he has destroyed the telegraph so that Palmerdale couldn't send that message to London and ruin his honor. And, and thus, uh, he's also kind of prevented them from calling for help. Uh, although actually, I, I, I was thinking about that because I've been watching what are their options. And the one option they never think of is let's go. Let's go. Let's just go to the TARDIS. I was about to say that. Yeah. It's not TARDIS separation, it's TARDIS amnesia. But other than that, so I'm thinking, well, okay, why don't they just use the telegraph to call for help? And I thought, oh, well, even if they did, there's this horrible fog and they don't have a functional lighthouse. They're on an island six miles off the coast. How how is help going to get there uh, before morning anyway? Yeah, because they had the scene early on where, you know, the Palmerdale's like, well, looks at Harker says, well, you can get me to the shore, can't you? Not a chance. Not going to happen. Six miles in the in the fog in, at night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was the thing that kind of got me. Like, why is it like at this point, the doctor's already revealed that he's an alien that they're there or, or at least that he knows about aliens. Drag him out of the TARDIS. We're going to we're getting out of here. I, just, I was a little surprised by that one. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, maybe they didn't want to go out of the lighthouse where the where the thing could get at them, and they didn't realize they had locked it in with them at this point. Right, and they he has the doctor has Harker find a way the seaman uh, find a way to block the the door to the lighthouse so that it's closed, and then uh, Harker dies, and then they and then they find Reuben's body in the coal hole, and then uh, the doctor says, "Leela, I've made a terrible mistake." I thought I'd locked the enemy out, the enemy out, but instead I've locked it in right. with us. <laughs> well, it's 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 incredible though how much they are able to use what is a very confined space. Yes, because you've got one corridor, basically four rooms if you count the actual light room. Yeah, I was toting them up too. We've basically got five little sets here. We've got the at the top, we've got the light gallery. Then we have the winding corridor. So all the running through corridors, at least it's a curved descending corridor it's upstairs, this time. Yeah, up and yeah. downstairs. We have the, the bunk room. We have the mess room and we have the boiler room and the boiler room generator room. And that's that's basically it. This is almost a stage play in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the, con- the way yeah. it's confined. Yeah, there's a there's a problem with that corridor, by the way. It apparently has extra dimensions or something because yeah. people are <laughs> able to get up and down the corridor past other people in the corridor without passing each other. So there's something a little strange about this corridor. <laughs> but uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I noticed. So Harker was was shoveling coal into the, the generator. He was had that job at the time. And, and so Vince realized he died when the pressure to the horn dropped because no one was shoveling. I noticed this thing, and this is universal. People, people still do this. When they go to check the boiler, everybody, everybody taps the dial. Like really? tap, tap, tap. You, you, if, if you watch it again, everybody, when they're checking the thing, tap, tap, they tap the dial. What are you doing? Are you like, is, are you worried it's stuck or something? Everybody taps the dial. Now, are you saying people do this in real life or just on TV? Oh, yeah. If people go and check, like if you, especially around here, we have dials on our either our furnace or on the oil Mm -hmm. tank that feeds the furnace. And when you see people checking like the dials on things, they tap them. And I don't know why. To make sure it's not stuck. Yeah, Yeah, I guess. But I mean, how often are things stuck these days? (laughs) The modern version of that is you you check the display. So our our boilers here in the church are we're just put in a couple of years ago and they've got, you know, nice LED displays. So, of course, it's in there, you know, immediately hitting the button to turn on the display to find out what's going on. You know, (laughs) same kind of thing, you know, it's very it's very interesting. Interesting. I did not grow up with boilers. So this is outside (laughs) of my experience. Oh, yes. So in some of the older uh, churches around here where, where I've either worked or helped out, they still have boilers of the vintage of this boiler on, mm-hmm. on this yeah. uh, lighthouse on the island. So, yeah, Boil- boilers are not as big in the south where it's hotter. Yeah, I'm guessing there's there's not many boilers in San Diego. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> or Arkansas or Texas. Right. Uh, so the 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 doctor realizes that Reuben is the alien in disguise. Uh, and then uh, the. The alien in Ruben's form kills Vince. And that was when I really yeah. got me sad. I liked Vince. He was That's the guy. hardest of these deaths because Vince is so awesome. He's just this lovable puppy dog, innocent guy. Yeah. Paul Mardell deserved it. Harker. Harker was we didn't get to know him very well. I felt kind of bad for Harker. Yeah, and, he should and have been ben. fighting a vampire instead. <laughs> right. Yep, exactly. But but Vince was, yeah, lovable Vince. And uh, the, the doctor discovers that the alien has set up a beacon to rep- report back to the main host so essentially the rutan is a the first thing he finds is a power relay it's right. like a, a silver rod down in the electricity room and that's what's that been sucking t- up the electricity yeah it's and he tells leela that it must be powering a, a hidden transmitter somewhere so he goes to look for the uh, hidden transmitter and he goes up to the uh, bunk room and he's sorting through stuff in the bunk room and he and we get this very brief shot of him like flipping through postcards or something or mm-hmm. photographs or, yeah. or whatever. And someone on the crew has cheesecake photos. <laughs> it goes by really quick, but it's just a little thing slipped in there. And it's like, yeah, they probably have those on a turn of the century like yep. lighthouse. <laughs> right, um, right. And then uh, Ruben comes, Rutan Ruben uh, comes in, and the doctor has to like hang by his fingers outside the window <laughs> right. uh, while Ruben is looking around in there. But he does find the transmitter and uh, and takes its antenna. It, the, apparently, the Rutan, so the Rutan is a scout for the main Rutan host, which is mm-hmm. going to come and devastate Earth 
as a as its foothold in this galaxy in its battle against the Centaurans. I mean, that's sort in of this the, area of the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's sort of the frame. So the they have to stop the scout and the mothership before you know, but so that they don't bring the Rutan host there. And I'm thinking to myself that the the Rutan craft that's under the water is strong enough to generate this fog because because it doesn't like heat. That's its big its big uh, weakness is is heat, and that's why there's this cold fog. So why can't it generate the power for the transmitter? Why do they have to use the generator on the lighthouse? But Plot reasons. Well, it's a matter of short circuiting the continuum on a two parsec level, and so it's forbidden planet, by the way. Um, <laughs> right. And so you, you, they can say it's it requires more power to do this, especially if you're communicating over vast distances. It it may not be a. Um, actually, this makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's fine. It's for the plot reasons. That's fine. We that's fine. Water, um, water blocks the transmission or something. Who knows. Yes, yes, let's let's go with that. They meanwhile they set up a defense. So what the only ones we have left now are the Dr. Leela and Skinsale. Yeah, he's also killed uh Adelaide who true to form dies screaming. <laughs> true to form, right. And so they <laughs> they set up a defense in the uh the lamp gallery at the very top of the lighthouse. Uh and one thing I noticed about Leela is they have they they have her constantly mangling phrases, getting a little yeah. malaprops like it's she just I think it's maybe to show how she is an alien. This is all new. This is all new to her. And she's in. She. I think I. I forgot to to write down some of them, but the, the some of them were pretty funny. That she she used uh, uh something where she stu- she told uh, I think Harker to stalk the boy instead of the boiler. You know, keep shoveling coal into the boy or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Oh, it was like keep the boiler pressure up was the phrase she mangled. Right, right. Keep the keep the pressure up on the boy or something. Uh, the the and then so the doctor sends them up to the you know the Leela and Skinsale to the lamp room to set up a trap using gunpowder from the signal. So when the when you don't have the light and you don't have the horn, the backup on the, in the lighthouse are these flares basically that yeah, use gunpowder. They're, they're called maroons. Apparently, I guess maybe they they make this maroon colored light, mm-hmm. right? Or just to keep you from getting marooned. And maybe that's where the, the term being marooned comes from, is you would use mm-hmm. the maroon flares when you're marooned. Look maybe. up etymology, someone. Just a guess. And so while they're setting up this defense in the, in the, uh, the, the lamp room, the doctor is going to distract the rutan. Uh, and so we have this very interesting uh, uh, conversation between the rutan on the stairs and the doctor, the sort of back and forth. Uh, which is sort of provoking it, uh, and and I think I mentioned before, uh, round is not a good shape for climbing stairs. This is if the mm-hmm. if the Centaurans want to defeat the Rutan, I suggest they build lots of stairs everywhere. Both the Rutan and the Daleks, at least pre Seventh Doctor Daleks, would be defeated pretty easily with a bunch of stairs. Right, exactly. So uh, maroon, in the sense of put ashore on a desert island or coast by way of punishment dates to around 1724 it earlier in the 1600s meant to be lost in the wild and it's derived from a term for a uh, fugitive slave oh interesting and i wonder how that relates to the color maroon um that has a different let's see so maroon in the sense of very dark red or crimson color dates from 1791 it's this is a apparently a case of parallel word origin from the french color marron uh the color of a marron or chestnut oh i love that when we have these parallel development of of etymologies it's it's always Mm -hmm. interesting so uh the the rutan is uh they knock it back down the stairs but they don't kill it uh, and at this point, yeah, they shoot it with a um, with an early shermuli, uh, which is uh, which is it's like a grappling kind of gun thing. And the the thing is, is they can't just kill this the, the creature. That's not enough to, to solve the problem because they also have to destroy the rattan ship so that it doesn't alert the host and have people have the, the, the main host show up. So the doctor says, I need to make a laser. Uh, which is a beam of coherent light. So Leela suggests the lighthouse light, and uh, they in the dark says yes, but I need something to focus it. And Skin Sale suggests palm, palm uh, diamond, uh, and he's got diamond cufflinks. And the dark says no, no, way too small. 
And so Skidzil says, oh, well, Palmerdale carries around a pouch full of diamonds for some reason, as, in, as he calls yeah, it his, his insurance. His, his pol- insurance policy. Yes, yeah. his, so they, the doctor has to get down past the, the rattan in, to where uh, Palmerdale's body is and, and Skinsale does goes with them. And they have to frisk uh, Palmerdale's body looking for it. And it's, it's a very like, kind of an amusing scene where Skinsale is like looking all over and the doctor's like, hurry, hurry, hurry. And uh, I think he I think he whispers money belt to him. And that prompts Skinsale to check under his clothing for a money belt, which is where the pouch of diamonds is. And then uh, so the funny thing is they get the pouch. The doctor pours the, this handful of diamonds out into his hand picks one out and drops the rest on the floor and poor skin sale. He's like, you're just throwing away, you know, a fortune in diamonds. He starts picking them up. And that's when he gets tentacled and electrocuted by kills him. Yeah. But he, uh, the doctor reports back to Leela that he died with honor, which was what he was concerned about, that his honor be intact. Now, here's an interesting little fact I learned while I was looking up stuff about this is that the, the script, the, the, the screenwriter was unhappy with the way that Tom Baker deliver this line he yeah. very clearly wanted it to be he died pause with honor and really emphasized the with honor but tom baker he just says he died with honor and kind of moves on with that so i thought it was an interesting distinction that they had wanted to make there mm-hmm. by by the way so notice we've we we've lost uh reuben we've lost well we lost ben we lost reuben we lost vince we lost adelaide we lost palmerdale palmerdale Parker. and we've lost skin sales so now yeah. Just for once, everybody dies. Yep, <laughs> right. exactly. Everybody, everybody dies except for the dark this, and the companion. This is the anti-empty child. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Nobody dies. Not on my watch. Uh, the doctor does tell Leela, don't fire until you see the green of its tentacles, which I, I thought was a nice reference to the Battle of Bunker Hill when William Prescott told the Americans not to fire on the British until you see the whites of their eyes. Yeah, there is actually a debate about who said that at, at the Battle of Bunker Hill. Um, and it may have been multiple people. It may have been one guy gave the command and it got passed down the line. But it turns out, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes, actually has precedence before the Battle of Bunker Hill, uh, including both non-British, European and British precedents. But it's at least to an American audience, it is most famous from the Battle of Bunker Hill. And so I can't help thinking that, I, I mean, if if they if if uh, Bennett or someone in England tells us, oh, no, we use it here all the time without reference to Bunker Hill, then maybe not. But I tend to assume that that's what's going on here, that that's the famous reference, which makes it kind of interesting on a British TV show to have right. a line associated with the American Revolution <laughs> be the basis of that. Right. Uh, and they're also interesting. The tentacles were white, not green, but that's okay, Doctor. <laughs> you can. You know, the doctor is colorblind. Yeah. The uh, it it uh, the the reason that that's interesting. I'm reading a really good book right now about the Battle of Bunker Hill by uh, the author uh-huh. Nathaniel Philbrick, which is which is really good. Uh, I would suggest to folks. They blast the rutan. They they kill it. It's it's dying and it's you know giving its it's dying. Uh, I'm still words. talking talking as it's dying, but it's dying. <laughs> Right. Uh, the doctor sets up the laser on the uh, with the lighthouse. And and by the way, actually focusing light through a crystal is the way early lasers worked. Uh, you it, was, it would be like a ruby. And you would what you would do is you would mirror one side of or one or both sides of it so that the light would enter and bounce back and forth between the mirrors and and build up its force until it finally breaks through as as the beam of coherent light right Mm -hmm. so yeah there is some science uh backing this up which is good uh so they uh they they run from the lighthouse and the doctor tells lila don't look back we have this uh uh lot's wife situation going on here don't look don't look back and she does and the flash blinds her temporarily at which point she wants the doctor to kill her yeah because if if slay me now yeah, if you're blind, you are a apparently a, a, a drag on the tribe of the uh, among the the sever te- the sever team, and uh, but no, no, it's only temporary. And her eyes turn blue here, and it seems within the context of the story, it doesn't make any sense. No, he says it's pigmentation dispersal. Um, the real reason, of course, is so actress Louise Jameson wouldn't have to wear brown contact lenses anymore. Apparently, those brown contact lenses were so painful for her. She was contemplating leaving the show uh, so she wouldn't have to wear them anymore. 
and it's interesting they 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 were making her wear brown contact lenses for some reason. Yeah, well, she has brown hair, and it, you know, it, it, those were early contacts too. They're not like the nice soft ones we have now that you could wear, you know, full time, and it's not going to irritate your eyes. So you figure those hard contacts with the coloring and everything; those had to be really uncomfortable. This is an example, and you know, on our Star Trek podcast, I've criticized Discovery from for sometimes providing on screen explanations for things that you just don't need to explain, like why there are no hologram volumetric holograms in the uh, in the original series. It's like you just you don't need to explain that, and and I thought the same thing here. We do we really need an on screen explanation of why she's not wearing brown contact lenses anymore? Right, just. Next episode, Just let her take them off. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and especially since you know you be going from one season to the next, how many people are going to actually remember that her eyes were brown? And you know, of course, now with you know with the internet, we watch everything on demand. Now we would know, but you know, at the time when they had absolutely no clue that there was going to be VHS, much less. Right. You yeah. Know. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Even then, even if I noticed it, I'd say, oh. Her eyes are a different color. She either was or is now wearing contacts. Big deal. That has nothing to do with the story. Right. Right. Exactly. The, the, today, fans are much more focused on that sort of thing. So they uh, they decide, you know, they're they're all done. They leave all the dead bodies behind <laughs> for uh, people. The the legend of uh, the beast of Fang Rock to continue uh, into but, the future. Leela takes the knife. She got the knife she liked. That is a yeah, she she did get, get a nice knife there. Uh, and as they, they head to the TARDIS, the doctor quotes a poem, which is Wilfred Gibson's Flannan Isle, uh, which uh, it's uh, as uh, I, though we hunted high and low and hunted everywhere of the three men's fate. We found no trace of any kind in any place, but a door ajar and an untouched meal and an overtoppled chair, which is, sort of leaves the idea of, you know, whoever's going to come by and find this lighthouse next is going to find a, a great mystery. Uh, of all these deaths and destruction and whatnot. So it'll be, it, it so kind of leaves it that way, which is interesting. So uh, any, any other notes on this episode that now that we've uh, completed? A few, I have a few. I liked the fact this is very atmospheric. Um, it's claustrophobic. Uh, we're at a time of transition in history, and that's exemplified by the conflict over electricity versus oil to power lighthouses. I found it interesting that they're still using voice pipes instead of telephones. Right. Those are mm -hmm. those speaking tubes where you, you like yell down them and someone puts it to their ear and then they yell back up at you and you put it to your ear, but it just mechanically kinetically transmits the voice over distances. There's no electricity involved in this thing. And actually they're used not just on lighthouses, but they're used uh, on ships because they don't stop working if the electricity fails. Exactly. Um, so that was neat. I like the doctor's conversation with uh, the with the Rutan when he's sitting on the stairs talking to him, and you have this kind of verbal sparring going on between them. You know, because the Rutan is all about the glorious Rutan Empire, and we're going to conquer everything, and it's going to be glorious. And the doctor points out, so you're actually losing that war with the Centaurans, aren't you? You used to control the whole of Mutter's Spiral. And they don't say it here, but Mutter's Spiral is the Milky Way galaxy. That's one of the names on the show for the for the Milky Way galaxy is Mutter's Spiral. Um, so apparently the Rutans used to control the whole Milky Way galaxy, but now they've been pushed back to certain pockets. Um, the doctor just casually, as he's talking to it about more strategic matters, just casually, and I don't like the way you look. <laughs> and, and then and then later he calls him oyster face <laughs> he he also explains to leela that uh the rutans are from a planet called ruta three they evolved in the sea and it's an icy planet so um so they don't uh like heat at all so i'm guessing it's like an ice moon type world where you have a frozen over sea but that has enough pressure and salinity that the water is still liquid, even though it's very cold. Um, also, I like the design of the Rutan ship, even though they apparently don't like fire. Um, when the Rutan ship shows up, what they've done for the ship design is instead of building a physical ship, they've taken a flame and shot it through a circular gobo. A gobo is a cutout that you use uh, in filming. So like whenever you see 
you know, someone in an old movie looking through binoculars and you see that pattern of two intersecting circles of, you know, where you can see the vision and they're surrounded by black. That's just they put a gobo over the camera. And so that's what they did here. They put a little circular gobo over the camera and shot a flame through it. So you have this flickering, flaming shape that's also a circle. And that's the root and ship. And I thought it was a neat alternative to the you know physical spaceship models they would otherwise use in this period. Right. We also have, um, I guess they, they did this fairly often in, in Classico, where we have the TARDIS uh, dematerializing and materializing. They do it of a tiny model of the TARDIS uh, on a set. So it's very clearly a, a, a very a small scale model of it. One of the things that, uh, that a note on this is this is the last time the Doctor travels with only a single companion until the Caves of Androzani, which will be seven years in the future. So the Doctor will have uh, companions uh, all at that point from the future. And then there was a there's a important behind the scenes moment apparently between uh, Louis, Louise Jameson and Tom Baker that in in the third part of this episode the the third. Uh, show because it's in four parts he kept upstaging her he kept coming in ahead of his cue and she insisted on reshooting it until he came in when he was supposed to and apparently that uh, gave him more respect for her and from that point on they they their working relationship went much better than than it had previously and i know we've, we've talked about it before that tom baker is a very healthy ego shall we say <laughs> And especially yeah. especially by this time, because now he was he's been the doctor for four seat. You know, this is his fourth season as the doctor. And, you know, he's so world recognized as the doctor. So, yeah, he he, he also um, in addition to that, he had really liked Elizabeth Sladen, who played Sarah Jane Smith. And um, he had a really close relationship with her. And then when she left, here's her replacement who's nothing at all like her. And he actually didn't want a replacement. He wanted to like, just be the doctor and travel solo. Interesting. In fact, he even talked about maybe you could give me a talking cabbage as a companion. Right. <laughs> but uh, so he kind of had a chip on his shoulder when Louise Jameson got cast and their relationship in the beginning was not good at all behind the scenes, but he, she stood up for herself and he came to respect her more. Well, he did get a talking cabbage eventually. His name was Adric. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the, this season, doesn't isn't this the season where they get K-9? Yes. Okay, that's why this is the last without another companion, because they're going to get K-9. All right. So uh, any if there's no other notes, I think we'll wrap things up with a little bit of feedback, uh, if that's OK. Uh, we have a, a, a note on. Uh, an older episode, all the way back in uh, episode 57 of Secrets of Doctor Who, when we discussed an adventure Ooh, in the dark times. Yes, we, we were talking about an adventure in space and time, which was the, oh, yes. the fictionalized documentary about the history of the beginning of of the, the TV show Doctor Who. And one of our uh, newest patrons, Amanda, on Patreon, left a message. She said, uh, I was listening to episode 57 of the Secrets of Doctor Who. And it was mentioned how you'd like to listen to more big finished productions, but you know, there's enough time or money because you got to buy the, the yeah. episodes of, of it. Well, there is a, a service called Hoopla uh, at hooplaDigital.com, and it's H O O P L A that has a lot of big finished productions available to listen for free. And I have Hoopla on my mm. phone. Uh, it's, it's a service that works with your public library. So if you have a library card, oh, sure. And your library uh, is is in a, a association with Hoopla. You can access a lot of big finished productions there for free. And she, she said that's how she listened to spare parts while before our or while we uh, when we did our podcast about the big finished episode spare parts. And she said just thought I'd let you know in case you've not heard of it and would like to access more Doctor Who stories. And thank you, Amanda. That's actually really helpful, and I hope that's helpful to to listeners. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to Hoopla. So have that yeah speaking of patreon i just want to remind you that uh, we, we like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of doctor who including eric m mario l earl p jonathan k and mark r and and amanda the their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of doctor who and all the shows at starquest and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give 
that's it from us uh, on this. Then what what did you think of this fourth Doctor story, Horror of Fang Rock? You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, like I mentioned. You can also send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing a first Doctor story, The Reign of Terror. So we have the horror at Fang Rock, and now we're going to do The Reign of Terror. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. And Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Well, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, the Malicious Damage Act of 1861 covers lighthouses. 